Part One of Queen of the Martian Catacombs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schnabel, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Queen of the Martian Catacombs by Lee Douglas Brackett. The story was first published in Planet Stories, summer 1949. Part One. For hours the hard-pressed beast had fled across the Martian desert with its dark rider. Now it was spent. It faltered and broke stride, and when the rider cursed and dug his heels into the scaly sides, the brute only turned its head and hissed at him. It stumbled on a few more paces into the lee of a sandhill, and there it stopped, crouching down in the dust. The man dismounted. The creature's eyes burned like green lamps in the light of the little moons, and he knew that it was no use trying to urge it on. He looked back the way he had come. In the distance there were four black shadows grouped together in the barren emptiness. They were running fast. In a few minutes they would be upon him. He stood still, thinking what he should do next. Ahead, far ahead, was a low ridge, and beyond the ridge lay Vulcus and safety but he could never make it now. Off to his right a lonely tor stood up out of the blowing sand. There were tumbled rocks at its foot. They tried to run me down in the open, he thought, but here, by the nine hells, they'll have to work for it. He moved then, running toward the tor with a lightness and speed incredible than anything but an animal or a savage. He was of earth stock, built tall and more massive than he looked by reason of his leanness. The desert wind was bitter cold, but he did not seem to notice it, though he wore only a ragged shirt of Venusian spider silk open to the waist. His skin was almost as dark as his black hair, burned indelibly by years of exposure to some terrible sun. His eyes were startlingly light in color reflecting back the pale glow of the moons. With the practiced ease of a lizard he slid in among the loose and treacherous rocks. Finding a vantage point where his back was protected by the tor itself, he crouched down. After that he did not move except to draw his gun. There was something eerie about his utter stillness, a quality of patience as inhuman as the patience of the rock that sheltered him. The four black shadows came closer, resolved themselves into mounted men. They found the beast where it lay panting and stopped. The line of the man's footprints, already blurred by the wind but still plain enough, showed where he had gone. The leader motioned, the others dismounted. Working with the swift precision of soldiers, they removed equipment from their saddle packs and began to assemble it. The man crouching under the tor saw the thing that took shape. It was a banning shocker, and he knew that he was not going to fight his way out of this trap. His pursuers were out of range of his own weapon. They would remain so. The banning, with its powerful electric beam, could take him, dead or senseless, as they wished. He thrust the useless gun back into his belt. He knew who these men were and what they wanted with him. They were officers of the Earth Police Control, bringing him a gift. Twenty years in the Luna cell blocks. Twenty years in the gray catacombs, buried in the silence and the eternal dark. He recognized the inevitable. 
He was used to inevitables. Hunger, pain, loneliness, the emptiness of dreams. He had accepted a lot of them in his time. Yet he made no move to surrender. He looked out at the desert and the night sky, and his eyes blazed, the desperate, strangely beautiful eyes of a creature very close to the roots of life, something less and more than man. His hands found a shard of rock and broke it. The leader of the four men rode slowly toward the tor, his right arm raised. His voice carried clearly on the wind. Eric John Stark! He called, and the dark man tensed in the shadows. The rider stopped. He spoke again, but this time in a different tongue. It was no dialect of Earth, Mars, or Venus, but a strange speech, as harsh and vital as the blazing Mercurian valleys that bred it. O oh, Inchaka, O oh, man without a tribe, I call you. There was a long silence. The rider and his mount were motionless under the low moons, waiting. Eric John Stark stepped slowly out from the pool of blackness under the tor. "'Who calls me Nchaka?' The rider relaxed somewhat. He answered in English. "'You know perfectly well who I am, Eric. May we meet in peace?' Stark shrugged. "'Of course.' He walked on to meet the rider who had dismounted, leaving his beast behind. He was a slight, wiry man, this EPC officer, with the rawhide look of the frontier still on him. His hair was grizzled and his sun-blackened skin was deeply lined, but there was nothing in the least aged about his hard, good-humored face, nor his remarkably keen, dark eyes. "'It's been a long time, Eric,' he said. Stark nodded. Sixteen years. The two men studied each other for a moment, and then Stork said, I thought you were still on Mercury, Ashton. They've called all of us experienced hands in to Mars. He held out cigarettes. Smoke? Stork took one. They bent over Ashton's lighter, and then stood there smoking, while the wind blew red dust over their feet, and the three men of the patrol waited quietly beside the banning. Ashton was taking no chances. The electro-beam could stun without injury. Presently Ashton said, "'I'm going to be crude, Eric. I'm going to remind you of some things.' "'Save it,' Stark retorted. "'You've got me. There's no need to talk about it.' "'Yes,' said Ashton. "'I've got you, and a damned hard time I've had doing it. That's why I'm going to talk about it.' His dark eyes met Stark's cold stare and held it. "'Remember who I am. Simon Ashton. Remember who came along when the miners in that valley on Mercury had a wild boy in a cage and were going to finish him off like they had the tribe that raised him? Remember all the years after that when I brought that boy up to be a civilized human being?' Stark laughed, not without a certain humor. You should have left me in the cage. I was caught a little old for civilizing. Maybe. I don't think so. Anyway, I'm reminding you, Ashton said. Stark said with no particular bitterness, You don't have to get sentimental. I know it's your job to take me in. Ashton said deliberately, I won't take you in, Eric, unless you make me. He went on then rapidly before Stark could answer. 
You've got a twenty-year sentence hanging over you for running guns to the Middle Swamp tribes when they revolted against Terovenusian metals, and a couple of similar jobs. All right, so I know why you did it, and I won't say I don't agree with you. But you put yourself outside the law, and that's that. Now you're on your way to Valkus. You're headed into a mess that'll put you on Lunaf on life the next time you're caught. And this time you don't agree with me? No. Why do you think I broke my neck to catch you before you got there? Ashton bent closer, his face very intent. Have you made any deal with Delgon of Valkus? Did he send for you? He sent for me, but there's no deal yet. I'm on the beach, broke. I got a message from this Delgon, whoever he is, that there was going to be a private war back in the dry lands and he'd pay me to help fight it. After all, that's my business." Ashton shook his head. This isn't a private war, Eric. It's something a lot bigger and nastier than that. The Martian Council of City-States and the Earth Commission are both in a cold sweat, and no one can find out exactly what's going on. You know what the low canal towns are. Valkus, Jakara, Barrakesh. No law-abiding Martian, let alone an Earthman, can last five minutes in them, and the back blocks are absolutely verboten. So all we get is rumors. Fantastic rumors about a barbarian chief named Kynon, who seems to be promising heaven and earth to the tribes of Kesh and Shun. Some wild stuff about the ancient cult of the Ramas that everybody thought was dead a thousand years ago. We know that Kynon is tied up somehow with Delgon, who is a most efficient bandit, and we know that some of the top criminals of the whole system are filtering in to join up. Knighton and Walsh of Terra, Themis of Mercury, Arad of Callisto Colony, and I believe your old comrade-in-arms, Luhar the Venusian. Stark gave a slight start, and Ashton smiled briefly. Oh, yes, he said, I heard about that. Then he sobered. You can figure that set up for yourself, Eric. The barbarians are going to go out and fight some kind of a holy war to suit the entirely unholy purposes of men like Delgon and the others. Half a world is going to be raped. Blood is going to run deep in the drylands. And it will all be barbarian blood spilled for a lying promise and the carrion crows of Valkus will get fat on it, unless, somehow, we can stop it." He paused, then said flatly, "'I want you to go to Valkus, Eric, but as my agent. I won't put it on the grounds that you'd be doing civilization a service. You don't owe anything to civilization, Lord knows. But you might save a lot of your own kind of people from getting slaughtered to say nothing of the border states Martians who'll be the first to get Kynon's axe. Also, you could wipe that twenty-year hitch of Luna off the slate, maybe even work up a desire to make a man of yourself, instead of a sort of tiger wandering from one kill to the next, he added, if you live. Yes, said Ashton, I'm clever, but I'm not a liar. What I've told you is true. Stark carefully ground out the cigarette beneath his heel. Then he looked up. Suppose I agree to become your agent in this and go off to Valkus. 
What's to prevent me from forgetting all about you, then? Ashton said softly, Your word, Eric. You get to know a man pretty well when you know him from boyhood on up. Your word is enough. There was a silence, and then Stark held out his hand. All right, Simon, but only for this one deal. After that, no promises. Fair enough. They shook hands. I can't give you any suggestions, Ashton said. You're on your own completely. You can get in touch with me through the Earth Commission office in Tarak. You know where that is? Stark nodded. On the dryland border. Good luck to you, Eric. He turned, and they walked back together to where the three men waited. Ashton nodded, and they began to dismantle the banning. Neither they nor Ashton looked back as they rode away. Stark watched them go. He filled his lungs with the cold air and stretched. Then he roused the beast out of the sand. It had rested and was willing to carry him again as long as he did not press it. He set off again across the desert. The ridge grew as he approached it, looming into a low mountain chain much worn by the ages. A pass opened before him, twisting between the hills of barren rock. He traversed it, coming out at the farther end above the basin of a dead sea. The lifeless land stretched away into darkness, a vast waste of desolation more lonely even than the desert. And between the sea-bottom and the foothills Stark saw the lights of Volcus. End of Part One